Let's just pause and take this moment before the Lord. Father, we thank you for uh, your presence in this place. We thank you that um, you are a solid foundation. Your word, your truth, your love, these are things that we build our lives upon. Lord, as we open your word today, I pray, God, I ask that you would speak afresh. Lord, for those that come and it's familiar and we've heard it before, God, would you open our eyes as we sang in afresh, just in the wonder of your word. Holy Spirit, just come and, and speak through me. Lord, let me be invisible. God, we want to see you. We thank you for the things that you're doing in this church. We thank you for what you're going to accomplish this afternoon at the party in the park. We thank you that we get to just love our neighborhood like that. Lord, we thank you for the, the people you're putting in place in our church and in our community to serve you. Thank you for Courtney working in our office. God, I just pray your blessing on her. Just a, a fresh release of creativity and just the empowerment of your spirit as she serves your church in that way. God, we're just grateful that we get to just even approach you openly without reservation because of who you are. You're so good. We thank you. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're calling this new series Life Starts Now. The reason we picked that title is because the gospel of is pretty active. It's pretty fast-paced. It moves along quickly, and there's great things that are happening all the time, great encounters. And you're going to see Jesus demonstrate his authority and his power over all things, over nature and over the physical realm over our bodies, over demonic spirits. And every time Jesus steps into a situation, something new, people get a new life. They're moving forward. And that same invitation is for you and me to engage with Jesus in a way that says, life starts now, now that I'm following Jesus. We're in this, going to spend all this time just in this book called Mark. It's in the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, there's two portions, Old Testament and New Testament. The first four books are kind of biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them Gospels. Gospel is just a word that means good news. We kind of unpacked the etymology of that last week. If you want to know more, you can listen online to that. But it's the good news. It's the good message about Jesus. And today we're going to read Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 4 through 15. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to find that. Matthew, Mark, second book of the New Testament. If you're using a digital Bible, that's fine. Um, just try to resist uh, the urge to use it for solitaire uh, later when your mind starts to drift a little bit. All right. Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 4. He writes this. He says, This messenger who we introduced to us last week, was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. And for food he ate locusts and wild honey. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. 
I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And then the Spirit uh, compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. And later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. Verse 15, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Let's be seated together. John the baptizer. If you've ever been uh, to Israel, you likely went to the site where uh, John, where it's purported that John baptized Jesus. It's a little funny. If you go to Israel today, there's actually two official baptism sites. Jesus was only baptized once. So you know that uh, when you go to places like that, they're doing their best to uh, give you an idea. And, and if you ever go uh, to Israel, and I encourage you to get that on your bucket list. Don't get too hung up on the specific spots and locations. Um, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures. Here's the traditional location. This is kind of just below the Sea of Galilee, kind of at the top of the Jordan River, just at where, just at the mouth of it as it's coming out of, um, out of the, the lake and into the river. And it's, um, where it's a very built up spot. There's a big gift shop there, of course. Um, and so we just were there. And then there's another site that is the more likely site. I, I believe this is probably more like this site. This one's actually in the Judean desert. It's much closer to Jerusalem. Uh, that water is surprisingly cold. This was November. We were there. That little shack you see on the side, that's in the country of Jordan. And the, the uh, Russian Orthodox, they baptize from the other side. And they have a, t- a church over there. Uh, but we were able to baptize in the muddy Jordan River. Uh, there's other guys that hang around there. I've got one more picture. Um, this is uh, someone from our church. Um, I'll just out her right now. She was scared. <laughs> those guys are scary. Uh, but you always feel safe when you go to those, those places. All right. You can move back to the previous slide. The Judean wilderness is a pretty harsh area, but, but where there's water, it's not a bad area. Uh, it, it, it's kind of long stretches kind of up up to the to the east of Jerusalem, uh, kind of more or less along the Jordan River, and uh, down below is the is the Dead Sea, and that last picture was just north of the Dead Sea. It was a wilderness because it was uninhabited. There just weren't many people. In this case, it was not really easy to get to. Jerusalem sits at about twenty five hundred feet of elevation above sea level. That spot is a thousand or more feet below sea level. So you've got a, a a descent from Jerusalem of almost 4,000 feet down. Also on the Jericho Road, part of it's on the Jericho Road, and if you ever uh, read through the through the Gospels, you'll, you remember a story about Jesus tells a parable of the Good Samaritan, and that that's based on a, an account of a, of a guy who's walking down a road and he got beat up by bandits. That's the road they're talking about. So 
you, you know, you've got this, this moment in verse 5 when, when Mark says, all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. Clearly that's hyperbole. I mean, it's like not every single person, but it's not, it's not like, oh man, everybody loves you too, or everybody went to the fair. I mean, you know that not everybody did, but it's that kind of hyperbole statement. We're saying that's a big deal. John the baptizer was a celebrity preacher. He was well-known. He was popular. People were like, I know it's not easy to get to you. You're going to have to go 25 miles. You're going to have to go, you know, that crazy road. And it's way down there. But he's worth going to hear. He's worth listening to. He's, he's kind of a nutcase, but he's worth listening to. Right? Uh, he was a sight to behold. He wears a camel hair shirt. He... He, uh, he's got, you know, locust legs sticking out of his mouth and, and he, he shouts in a loud voice and he preaches repentance to a people who feel pretty good about themselves and their religion. The amazing thing is they responded. John was preparing the way for Jesus, setting, setting the, the stage for Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one. And he's effectively saying, hey guys, get ready. The one who's coming is going to be amazing. And you don't want to miss this. And the, the preparation was a call to, to repentance from sin, to turn from their sin, to admit their sin and, and turn from it. That's confession and repentance. To be baptized, to get right with God, get living for God. Live a life surrendered to God. If you're taking notes this morning, you could write this down. This surrender piece is important. Life with Jesus starts with surrender. Many of us, you know, you, you know, we're tempted just like, hey, I like some stuff about Jesus. You know, I like, I like to, you know, I've heard that he's a good guy and I like some of the things that he says. And so I'll just add Jesus to my repertoire, you know, of good morals. And I'm telling you that life with Jesus starts with a surrender of saying, Jesus, I yield my life to you. I come under your authority. One of the other things you'll see, and if you were to ever visit ancient Israel, you'll see that Archaeology has, has uncovered a lot of, we would call it a washing pool. They call it a mikvah. It, it's a bath. Here's a picture of one. This is up on a tall hill, just kind of overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And there's seven steps down in. And it was this sort of ritual cleansing before you went in to the either the temple or in this case the synagogue. You would step down into the bath, perform your ritual washing, come back out. and go, You see those all over the place. That was common. You would do that all the time. But what John's doing is baptizing, that's different, immersing into the water. And, and baptism was really reserved for Gentiles who were converting to the Jewish faith. And yet Mark says in verse 5, all of Judea, let's go to that next slide, all of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. The Jews, like good Jewish people from Jerusalem, were getting baptized like what kind of the Gentiles do. They were so compelled by what God was doing, so re- ready to respond to the move of God in their heart, they were being baptized, effectively re-surrendering to their own faith. Reaffirming a desire to follow God and not just be a good person. It's a big difference. See, the baptism of John didn't wash away Anyone sin. Baptism doesn't do that. Baptism can't save you. It never has. That's why in, a, in our, in our uh, church, we don't, we don't baptize infants or very young children. 
Infant baptism is maybe a gesture of parents saying, hey, we really want our child to grow up and follow Jesus. But baptism is a decision. It's a humble decision after saying, Jesus, I've, I've repented of my sin. I've confessed my sin. I've repented. I've turned and followed. I put my trust in you. And on that basis, that confession of my faith, then I'm baptized in response to that. It's a demonstration of repentance and surrender. And, and then the point here is that, G, that John prepared the people for the good news message of Jesus in the kingdom. And the response is surrender. And surrender is usually a word that, that we think of weakness. Often I like, I prefer the word kind of yielding. I'm yielding my life to Jesus. But, but surrender is even stronger. It's powerful. We think of it as weakness, but it's actually powerful because it's the place to begin. First things first means confession is where it starts. Admitting my wrongdoing, my sin, admitting it to myself, admitting it to God, admitting it to others where I've harmed or wronged others. You know, you know when you make a mistake, maybe you break something at work or at home, first instinct, hide it, cover it up, fix it quick. You goof something at work, you, you go to your coworker and say, hey, can you, can you fix this? Like, you accidentally hit a, you know, I, I was working with somebody in the office this week, our treasurer, and, and I meant to hit six copies on the copier, and I think I hit 66 copies by mistake. I'm like, man, that thing, I just, why is that thing still going? Like, oh no, I make a wasting paper, quick, get, get, get the, get the recycle bin. Cause I still have a conscience. Still trying to save the planet even when I make a mistake. You know, like I didn't throw them in the trash. I'm not a horrible person. But that instinct to like cover it up, hide it. And even when we sin, we we want to say, okay, I made a mistake, but I'm I'm done with that now. I'm moving on. I'm just I'm over it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm and there's this power of confession, this power of saying, I did this, it was wrong. Whether whether we confess that to God as a beginning point, but but with others. And there's something about the power of sin that breaks when we confess it, when we bring it out in the open. See, I just confessed my my photocopier sin to you all. The power of sin breaks when we confess it and we return from it, we repent of it, bring it out into the light. And that's what's happening here. First things first. And the question is always, am I surrendered to God in confession and repentance? Am I surrendered to God in that way? Now, here's what's cool about John. I really like this about John. In spite of his kind of explosive popularity, he didn't let it get to his head. He didn't say, yeah, I am kind of a big deal. I'll be selling camel hair shirts after the service, right? And uh, John the Baptist branded honey and locusts. Could have done that. People have been all over it, right? He did not do that. He, he rather said, hey, listen, whatever you think about me, there's someone who's coming that's way, way, way better. I'm not even, I don't even have the status of a slave compared to this guy. Like as low as you can think, I'm, I mean, how much lower as a slave would you have to be to be the one that unties the sandals and washes the feet? That's like a pretty much a low place of being a slave. And John says, like, I'm not even that good. 
compared to how great the one to come is. So John doesn't, doesn't, doesn't kind of believe his own press. He doesn't believe that kind of the way he's been pumped up. And there's, so that, I mean, I just, you know, want you to think about that with John. He really got that. It's a great lesson for us, but there's also an obvious and unanswered question, I think, uh, we should address, and that's why was Jesus baptized? Why was Jesus baptized if it's a baptism of repentance, confession of sin and repentance? Why is Jesus baptized? Jesus had no sin to confess, nothing to repent of. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. What's going on? John's baptism for Jesus was the significant moment of Jesus' own submission, his own surrender to his heavenly Father. So for him, it was not about repentance, but it was about humility. That Jesus, the Son of God, who's left the splendor of heaven, now not only born in human flesh, now intentionally identifying with us in all our humanity, all our weakness, all our simple flesh and bloodness. Through baptism, Jesus took on human identity. So if we said that following Jesus starts with surrender, next thing, you you, you could write this one down, that surrender creates identity. Your surrender creates identity. Let me give you a little illustration because um, hockey season is about to start. I can tell you're excited. I am too. So we share that. I know. Some of you watch some game with it's got like an oblong ball. So I don't know. I don't know what that is, but let's talk about hockey. I know you're happy about it. So over the summer, a bunch of players moved teams, different teams, and um, the captain of the San Jose Sharks, after 13 years with that team, uh, signed, left the San Jose Sharks and signed with the Dallas Stars. Sharks fans were shocked. So let's show that first picture of Joe Pavelski. This is the guy who in the playoffs scored a goal with his face. <laughs> Puck off his face into the goal. Hockey players are real men. Let's just get this straight, right? <laughs> but he's not going to be wearing teal. And by the way, thanks for the teal colors this morning. <laughs> he surrendered himself... To Dallas. I know. We're very disappointed about that. Somebody in this congregation bought a Joe Pavelski t-shirt last year, right at the end of the season, and it's barely worn. She's going to sell it for five bucks. Um, all right. What's my point? He's, by surrendering himself, he takes on a new identity. He wears a new jersey. Now, it's really easy to surrender yourself when it's $7 million a year for three years at the twilight of your career. I get that. But my point is, when we yield ourselves, when we surrender, we have a new identity. That's really important we understand. When you yield your life to Jesus, this amazing transaction happens. You're not who you were. You have a new identity as a child of God, a follower of Jesus. Loved by the Father. A new creation. But it's again, this great paradox. Isn't this amazing? Jesus' surrender affirms his human identity. And our surrender gives us a new spiritual identity in him. 
It's this trade. It's this exchange that happens. But it starts in humility. It starts with humbling myself to say that, that I confess that I'm a sinner. And I repent of that. And, and in this case, I'm stepping into the water of baptism to demonstrate that I'm submitting to God, to God's way of living, to God's call on my life, that I'm no longer living in rebellion and self-righteousness and I'm good enough and I got it. And it's submitting to God's way of doing it. A new identity as a Christ follower. And as Jesus was baptized, he heard the Father's great approval. This is a this is an amazing thing. Verses 10 and 11. We got this on screen. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved Son and you bring me great joy. Talk about affirmation. Every child wants to hear that from a parent. I love you. I'm pleased with you. You're my child. Only we typically do that after they get something good. One of my kids got some good grades in school and I was like, hey, that's awesome, right? Dad's typically like, wait until you do something good and then we say, what's different here? Before Jesus had accomplished anything, before he preached or healed or performed a miracle or gone to the cross, he already had his father's approval based on who he was, his identity. And it's true for all of us. Your, you know, the Father's approval on you by your faith in Him, and it's not because of your good behavior or because you try hard, but it's by your surrender to Jesus. It's who you are in Christ that matters. And I wonder, like, do you understand your identity as a child of God? That's what makes you worthy to the, to God. Not your good deeds, not your righteous behavior, not your tithing, not your service. It's your yielding to him in faith. That's what makes you approved and loved and accepted to the Father. And this new identity was just the beginning for Jesus because there's this. Identity creates authority. Identity creates authority. See, what do I mean by that? Once Jesus had demonstrated his identification with us, his Father you know, affirmed him. The Holy Spirit was imparted to him. Right? Let me just refresh that to you. Verse 11, after his baptism, or verse 10, right? The Holy Spirit was descending on him like a dove. A voice from heaven said, you're my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And then it says, the Spirit then compelled Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days. The Holy Spirit was imparted to him. He was ready. He was ready for ministry. But first he had to, to go through this experience or this season of testing. And have you ever noticed this? When you've, you've had a kind of a strong spiritual experience, a, a breakthrough, a mountaintop experience, the next thing you know, you're just under, it feels like you're just everything, just the wheels are falling off. It's major attack and, and, and major temptation. You're thinking, what's going on? All this spiritual pressure in my life and nothing seems to be going right. What's happening? Well, Jesus had that same experience. He's been baptized. He's heard the affirmation of the Father. The Holy Spirit's descended on a dove and now the Spirit leads him in the wilderness and maybe it's just going to be this like sweet, awesome time with with the father they're just kind of go over the last details and spend all this time in prayer and what happens he's been led there to be tempted by the adversary satan god wasn't tempting him but he was allowing him to be tempted and jesus prevailed 
And I, I think there's maybe some, been some poor teaching in the church about spiritual warfare. This is something we'd call spiritual warfare. This is under the, under the category of spiritual warfare. And in the evangelical church, we've maybe had some poor teaching. Jesus didn't prevail by, you know, binding Satan or, 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 or you know, yelling at him or, you know, kind of confronting him in any spectacular fashion. You can read the details all about it in the first part of Matthew and Luke. Instead, Jesus demonstrated his authority by claiming the truth of Scripture, which he could do because he understood his identity as, as God's son. And you can do this too because you're a child of God when you've put your faith in Jesus. You could, you know, when you've affirmed by the Father, you've confessed, you've repented, you've been baptized, you've put your faith in Jesus, you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you also have the authority to resist temptation through the power of God's Word. Cling to the promises of Scripture. Some all happens because Jesus understood, he was surrendered, understood his identity, he now has authority. And authority in the name of Jesus means you understand your purpose. See, my life's purpose, my life's purpose, personally, my life's purpose is to influence individuals and institutions toward the cross. I really believe that's the calling of God in my life. And I'm comfortable with my purpose because, because I've surrendered to Jesus. I've, I understand my identity as a child of God. I know that that identity authorizes me to pursue the command of, of Jesus to make disciples in all nations. Surrender, identity, authority. Which leads to the last thing I need to say about this. And the authority creates opportunity. Authority creates opportunity. See, once Jesus had passed the desert test, he now stepped onto the stage and he he picked up where John had left off. You can see that in verses 14 and 15. Later on, it's G after, now this is after John was arrested. It's also interesting that Jesus kind of waits in the, in the, in the, in the shadows. He waits kind of in the, in the wings. John is completely done. He doesn't step in and push John off the stage. Thanks, John. I'll, I'll, I'll take it from here. Nope. He's patient. John's ministry concludes. Tragically, first he's imprisoned and later he's beheaded. But after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee and he preached God's good news. He's in his, Jesus in his, basically his kind of familiar territory, more or less close to home. And he says, the time promised by God has come at last. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news, the good news that God saves. It's the opportunity that comes out of authority. You know, illustrate it this way. You you or your family member, you've got a certain skill, you've got an ability in something. Uh, you know, I, I know my friend Tad over here knows how to fix mechanical things. So what happens? People come to him all the time. Hey, Tad, could you fix my brakes? You know? I'm not, like, suggesting they do that. I'm pretty sure Jenny has a pretty good honeydew list for him that takes priority over that. Or, you know, maybe my, my wife's a registered nurse and so people will say, hey, can you, can you look at this thing on my leg? 
right? She says, I work with babies, so unless it's a baby leg. (laughs) You've got some expertise in some area. Hey, could you just, why, why do we do that? Because you have authority, you have a recognized authority in that area and your authority creates opportunity. So the surrender leads to identity. The identity leads to authority and the authority leads to the opportunity. Opens doors. Sets a, sets a new kind of vista ahead of Jesus. Jesus wasn't really saying anything John hadn't already said. Really. But he was endorsed by the Father and by the Holy Spirit in such a way as to make his authority unmistakable. And that authority launched him into his purpose and into the ministry for which he'd been sent. And this is where I want to leave us today. And worship team, why don't you go ahead and join us on stage today. Your surrender to Jesus. And I want to just, I want you to just ask yourself this question. Am I surrendered? Like, have I just added Jesus? Am I Jesus, Jesus just coming along for the ride? Or have I actually surrendered to Jesus? Am I in the driver's seat and he's my passenger, my co-pilot? Or is it the other way around? Your surrender to Jesus and therefore your identity in him. And therefore your authority on Christ's behalf. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. Is creating opportunities for you to represent Jesus, to share the gospel, to make disciples, to make Jesus known from here to the whole world. It looks different for every one of you. Whether you serve in a restaurant or you work in a hospital or you teach in a classroom or you're on a construction site, wherever it is, God is giving you opportunities as you are yielded and surrendered to him. You watch, you watch those doors of opportunity open up in amazing ways. Where will you do that this week? It even start today at four o'clock at Todd Beamer Park. Will you watch for the opportunities God's going to give you this week? Just be listening. You don't need to force it. Be say, Jesus, I, I'm ready. I understand who I am in you. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready if you open a door, I, I want, I want to walk through it. Let's pray. God, we, we want to be people, people who recognize those moments of opportunity, understand the authority you've given us in your name, understand our identity of who we are, Understand that it starts when we surrender, when we actually admit, not hide our sin, but actually admit it, get it out there in the open, confess it, receive your affirmation, receive that identity in you, receive the authority that we have in you, and then watch the opportunities open up just as it did for Jesus. We want to be those kind of people. We want to be that kind of church. And church, if you're uh, anybody here today that you've not trusted Jesus, I just can't emphasize enough. It starts with that place of yielding your life to him, surrendering your life to him. And watch how he takes it from there. God, we love you. And we just say we surrender it all to you. 
Amen.